Welcome to Artists of New England. This is a podcast created to inspire you on your journey of artistic expression. Whether you are a career artist, a teacher, an emerging artist, or hobbyist, you can learn and gain support from your peers. We will explore the symbiotic relationship between these groups, lending insight and empathy towards each other. We will discover the where, when, why, and how of the creative process of artists living and working in New England, with occasional bonus interviews with gallery owners, collectors of fine art, and art historians. Perhaps today's show will bring you the aha moment you've been waiting for. Welcome to Artists of New England with your host, Laura Casanari-King, and today I'm honored to have Alistair Dacey. Welcome, Alistair. Thank you so much. And tell us where you live now. Upstairs. <laughs> in? Uh, in Portsmouth, New Hampshire. <laughs> Thank you. Yes, yeah, so we are here recording live, well, live, not, not live to you, but live to us at the Series Gallery in Portsmouth, and um, we're going to learn a lot of things about Alistair, so let's get started. Mm. Intake of breath. So I like to start by finding out, I'm really interested in when you realized art was in your blood. Were you four? Were you 10? Were you 20? Hmm. What is your first recollections? Were you My, drawing as a kid? Uh, yeah. Hmm. I think the first time I, uh, well, when I recall my, my childhood, the first time I can remember a consistent memory, uh, obsession really with drawing, which is, uh, it was over two subject matters. One was drawing the mantelpiece in my living room. Wow. Which was this ornate limestone carved thing. Okay. Uh, brought over from England by some Anglophile in 1905. And it was really wild. Okay. And I would just plunk myself on the couch and try and draw the thing. And, and how old again? I don't, I mean, I must have been younger than nine. Okay, okay. Um, and it was it was the kind of thing that had seals with, as in coats of arms. Oh, sort of seals. very and cool. Had, uh, yeah. It was this, this ridiculous thing. And I spent hours and many, many pieces of paper trying to capture it, trying to figure mm. out how to interpret the forms. What I remember, actually, if, if you, to rewind that thought, when I think of drawing as a child, I remember my father saving the cardboard, the Bristol board that was in his shirt. So you get them dry cleaned. He was yeah. a commuter. We lived in Connecticut. Yeah. You'd go down to New York, you'd drop the shirts off, and you'd pick them up when he arrived back on the train. Sure. And there was this stiff and starkly, startlingly white piece of cardboard that was. That kicking. had to be drawn on. Yeah. That, he'd pull them out <laughs> and he'd save them all. Oh, and I, I now I, I realize how horrible they are drawn. Because yeah. every time you touch them, it, it sinks in your. It's more like sculpture than, than drawing. <laughs> yeah, it is. Um, but he would save these for me, and I just remember endlessly drawing this fireplace. The other thing, though, that is a little more dynamic than than the fireplace, is uh, the story of Moby Dick. Mm. I remember doing pen and inks on those same pieces of of, of cardboard, Bristol board, whatever they are, and. Uh, and just obsessively recalling scenes from Moby Dick. So when you say pen and ink, you mean um, the kind you dip in the, no, the well? No, these or are just like, I'm using that Okay, okay, fancy. a ballpoint pen. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> a ballpoint, the kind that would like run if you kept it in one place I should have left that alone. That's no, fine. <laughs> Most of them are ruined because I'd brush my shoulder or my, my yeah. elbow against them oh, before they had dried. Oh, maddening. Um, I had, had no concept for materials. Yeah. What would go with what. I just knew. I just, yeah. I just had an inkling, a desire 
and you to draw lived. Stuff. So you were not born here. Where were you born? Born in London. Okay, London. My parents are New Englanders. Okay. Oh. So uh, they were over there. Um, I think just testing out. Yeah. They were over there for twelve years or so, wow. living all over Europe, Luxembourg, London, Paris. Nice. Uh, so, but I think as soon as they had me, uh, they realized they needed to be back home. They needed someone to like, you know, grandparents to take care of me, free daycare. <laughs> I don't know. Grounded them. Yes. Okay. So, how old were you when you came back? Pretty young. Two. Oh, okay. Yeah. Didn't pick up that lovely British accent. No. no. <laughs> okay. So then, from nine, what happened? What? What? Uh, how did your art start blossoming? Oh. Has it blossomed? Yes. Okay. Tremendously sure. so, yes. <laughs> if you say so. <laughs> um, well, actually, the first time, I, I remember the first time I felt like I had something going on. Yeah? Okay. That, that was probably when I was about nine. And, and it was it's related to the Moby Dick series. Um, I must have just either, my father used to read stories to us as kids, and he must have either read us uh, Melville's, yeah. book or I maybe we saw the old black and white film but I was obsessed with these uh, visuals of the whale and mm. Captain Ahab and various uh, states of entanglement on the whale at the very end that whole concept fascinated me the schooner mm. and the uh, and the, uh, the dory and so there was a, a local sort of event going on and uh, on a weekend and I decided that I would set up a shop. Most kids set up a lemonade stand. <laughs> I decided to set up you did my drawings, and so <laughs> nine years old. Something nine. You were sure of yourself. Old. I was something. I, I, <laughs> and what did you I, make? Also, you I also managed to get out of the house without my mother dressing me. Uh -oh. I, remember, I actually have a vivid memory of walking out in a sort of god awful plaid shirt and pants that didn't match, and thinking I am my own man, <gasps> and finding some box that I could turn over on end and turn into a table. Yeah. Mounting all these drawings of these morbid looking black and white drawings of Ahab strapped. <laughs> and what white did your whale. sign say to make uh, people stop? I, didn't, I hadn't, was not that savvy. I just oh, okay. sat up on the side of and the road. And sat there looking like sat a beggar there, but child. But I did have the savvy to frame them. Oh, and, where'd you and, get frames? Uh, I went through our game collection and I found all the checkerboards. Uh, and I thought, wow, the checkerboards will make a nice, really sweet background. So I taped all these drawings <laughs> to checkerboards. I love it. And uh, I was charging a a nickel each. Oh boy. And a fellow, a uh, poor fellow, was walking up the street, felt really bad for me, came up and said, How much? And I said, A nickel. And he gave me a quarter. Oh. And he took one. Wow. And I closed up shop. I had covered my expenses. And, and you I said, was, I'm going uh, to art school. I'm, I was going to play at that point. But <laughs> that, that certainly that sort of reinforced that there was something of value happening. So you only sold one and you closed up? Yeah. That was enough for the day. That continued to this day. <laughs> So, I'm sorry, where did you live? In Massachusetts? In Fairfield, in... Connecticut. Connecticut. Okay. Okay, great. Awesome. So, tell us about your formal studies. When did you start realizing that's what you wanted to do? Um, in high school. Okay. Uh, my mother had always been very supportive, I have to say that. She went to art school mm. in Westport, Connecticut. And she had always been just just wonderful and how interested she was and supportive yeah and what I did my father was not in that world at all yeah uh, but had the mind and the perception for it okay um, so so both of them were encouraging in their in their own ways mm -hmm. um, but my first 
formal training, um, it probably started with my uncle. Well, it probably started in high school. I went to a Jesuit all boys mm -hmm. high school mm -hmm. um, in Fairfield. And there was an Irish teacher who'd come over when he was 16 or so. And um, hmm. he'd, his classes would go in between talking about art history to um, archaeology to poetry. Wow. I mean, there were times when he was diagramming Roman uh, attack, you know, uh, uh, formations on the on the board to illustrate some point relating to art. So he was kind of, <laughs> he was all over the map, wow. but he was also inspiring. Yes. Um, so the, the energy and the, the breath. I think he was a watercolorist. Wow. I shouldn't mention his name. Okay. On the I don't know. Should I? I, I don't see why not. Uh, Mr. Bramble. All right. I what a nice him. name. Yeah. Mr. A wonderful Bramble. fellow. So he, he gave me, uh, he was not only supportive and interested in what I was doing um, and let me come to class late and leave late, and, uh, <laughs> but he was also just very enthusiastic about life and that rubbed off on art. Mm. Um, and, and what I, grade was it? High school? That was high school. Yeah. So that was all yep. uh, yeah, sophomore on. Mm -hmm. Nice. Um, yeah, I guess suppose the, the aha moment for me when I, I realized I had something good mm -hmm. was then I realized that my chemistry and biology teachers, whose class I had right after art, would let me come in late if I showed them what I had been working on. Oh. So I shouldn't, I probably should not have passed chemistry. Oh. To be honest, but uh, wow! But they 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 were okay with it if I showed them what teachers would just pass me just because they were like, please just get out of my class. <laughs> you know, you've been taking up his desk for two and a half years. Um, yeah. But I had always been a stickler for detail. Okay. And and would I think drive my teachers nuts at least in the arts with not moving on until I got it. Mm. Whatever I thought got it meant. Yeah. Time. yeah. Yeah. So then what did you do after that? And when did you decide this was what you wanted to pursue for college career? Um, I suppose when I got to the point where I could paint in my room and my father would leave me alone. Uh, <laughs> in the sense that, you know, that there was an excuse, you know. Uh -huh. I can't take out the garbage right now. I'm painting. You, oh, you know, boy, you've milked this. I uh, see. Well, it was, it was also a source of identity, to yeah. be honest. Let's sure. be honest. I'm, yeah. Come on. When you're in high school, you're looking for what, what yeah. the hell am I? Right. Um, Dad, I can't do the trash. I'm a famous <laughs> painter in here. I'm sorry, I'm painting. I closed my door. Wow. Um, and you no, bought it? Uh, no. Oh. But, but, <laughs> to an extent. To an extent. Uh, but there was a, there was earlier on a nice sort of respect of what I did, and, and he and I would talk about it mm. in a very intellectual way. He was he was going to Yale when I was a kid, mm -hmm. so he you know he had a lot going on in his world and so he respected that I had a lot going on in my world in my head and so even at an early age we were talking about art yeah in a very intellectual kind of um, thoughtful way mm. it wasn't just a craft thing it was also ideas and it was yeah. history um, I, I had the audacity to only apply to one art school mm -hmm. and my thinking was audacity is the wrong word pride uh, I don't know arrogance to only apply <laughs> to one art school so I applied to Rhode Island School of Design, mm -hmm. out of high school, out of its small, all boys Jesuit high school, and one of my classmates is, had already made it in early oh. um, admittance or acceptance, or whatever, and I, uh, I think when I got accepted 
to the Rhode Island School of Design, regardless of what I think of how that education went. Yeah. Um, that was a stamp of approval mm -hmm. uh, that surpassed any 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 aff affirmation I had received mm -hmm. before. Okay. And so that that's when I sort of almost felt like, okay, now I really have to sit, I have to get serious. And mm -hmm. I had also thought um, that if I got into to the Rhode Island School of Design, then I would that I had with it took. I was looking for a sign, I mm -hmm. suppose. Mm -hmm. I mean, you can be serious about it in your high school art class, but do you have what it takes? to take the next step. And I suppose I I was, by only applying to one, I was looking for a validation from, from what I had gathered at the time was sort of like one of the top-notch schools. Mm -hmm. So, And so when you were there, what direction were you led? Were you, were you, was it just an open, were you allowed to pursue whatever you wanted there? Art-wise? Right. Um, I should say that I had a hard time adjusting because I had spent, I took a gap year and I went over to England. I worked actually construction. I worked framing homes for half the year. Hmm. The deal was I worked six months. I could travel for six months. Okay. And so I went over to one part of the traveling was to go over to England and stay with my aunt in South Kensington. Hmm. And uh, my uncle uh, is an artist uh, and was an art dealer and was trained in Berlin before the war. Had some very particular ideas of what made a good drawing, mm -hmm. mostly abstract based. Hmm. And so I got to train with him um, when I wasn't goofing around and he had the free time. We would sit at this large table and he would sort of look over my shoulder as I, as I drew and I would submit things as I finished them for his critique. So I already had a little bit of that going on when I went to RISD. Um, and then RISD hit and it was a uh, it was wonderful. I, I, be, I remember the foundation year hmm. uh, with Tom Mills and drawing and and they just they worked you really hard they I, that was my introduction to art not as a something you do in your spare time and when you're feeling like it yeah but, but something you actually s sort of shed tears and sweat over mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and i that, hmm. after freshman year um were you still doing pen and ink and then, uh, so I was, you know, so by the time I was in high school, uh, sorry, yeah, high school, I was doing oil painting. Oh, oh, okay. Uh, yeah, so I'm sorry, had, yeah. You had hit the oils in Yeah, high definitely okay. hit the oils. Yeah, the pen and ink was like when I was a kid. Um, okay. By the time I hit like 13 or 14, I was playing around with acrylics. I remember giving paintings to people, these mm. massive six-foot paintings, oil paintings. What? On brown paper. Six foot? Yeah. What kind of paper? Holds like oil. the like awful brown, like paper bag paper. I had no concept for materials, like I said. And I would give them to them and the oil would be seeping through the backside of it. And, and they were probably thinking, thanks for this. Uh, where's the nearest trash bin? But I had, I had no sense of, of... And what were you painting? Landscapes? Figures? Both. Yeah? Um, just jumped in? Yeah, right jumped in. I, I um, My introduction to, to figure drawing was through a friend who was teaching it. I believe it was Parsons in New York. Mm. Fairfield is only about an hour and a half from, from New York, so I would sometimes take the train in and draw and model there. And also my, my mother, as I mentioned, they had mentioned, is an artist, mm -hmm. was an artist, mm -hmm. is an artist, I should say, in her own way. Yeah. Um, and she uh, she and I took classes oh. at some some more local uh, art, sort of almost felt more like art colonies yeah. art classes. and. Um, so the idea of working from life was introduced to me at that point, but uh, when I was in high school, I was working. I had nothing to go on other than just working from photographs. Mm. So I would 
I would just be inspired by the design of something okay. and recreate something. And and that would, I guess, would, would segue nicely into one of the big differences between where I was and where I ended up. Mm-hmm. In other words, where I was in high school and mm-hmm. where I ended up after Rhode Island School of Design. Um, Rhode Island School of Design, that first year, the foundation year, they give you a pretty wonderful crash course. They teach you a number of things, ranging from time management to just how to get something done, to how mm-hmm. to how to perceive of a concept as a whole, a body of work as a whole. You've got to show up with four mm-hmm. or five drawings all based on the same theme, and you have to do it in a week. And you've got to be introduced to different materials, uh, different subject matter. Um, and I had a very memorable critique, if you want to hear about it. Mm-hmm. It was my first year. And it, was, it was probably, you asked, you know, when did I know I wanted to be an artist? Mm. This critique was when I wanted, I, I realized I didn't know what it was to be an artist. Ah. I wanted to be an artist, but I didn't know what it was. And it, it was it was actually the first critique at Rhode Island School of Design. Of course, you're nervous as heck. Mm-hmm. You're, they've pumped you full of the idea that you're God's gift to humanity because you made it <laughs> in university. And they had given us the assignment to go take out an, an item, a specimen from the nature lab, which is this, this thousands of, of, of skeletons, wow. skulls, bones, butterflies, mm-hmm. anything you can imagine. It's just downstairs in the Waterman building for anyone to check out who's wow. a, a RISD student. It's like a library, but yep. it's all specimen. And the whole point is that you can study these things and draw them. Mm. And so that our first assignment was to take a specimen out and draw five. There was a certain size, mm-hmm. and a certain paper, and a certain mm-hmm. material. I think it was compressed charcoal. And you had to create five drawings by next week. And I chose a, I chose a, I chose a B of all things. I don't know why mm. I want to slap myself. I had all these things I can draw, and I chose a B. <laughs> but um, I, I, I think there was a collection of Bs in this one glass box. And I remember just drawing the heck out of them. I worked my butt off. Mm. And I think that amount of work was evident to the teacher and to the class. Mm-hmm. And for some reason, he chose me to go first in the critiquing. So this mm-hmm. is my first critique ever. Is this at students critiquing students. as well? Well, it's it's a teacher. So in art school, they they you, you they have an assignment, you put everything up, and you really at least my experience is you learn through the critique. That's why they take sure. like eight hours or whatever six yeah. hours. So you move around teach person's work and it's a it's a often a teacher guided critique okay i get you but the students get to pipe in at some point ask questions and sure uh, offer their own insights yeah so first critique first you know class really at RISD, and tom mills says i'm gonna start with you and then he says get on the ground and this is like a really dirty old on the ground. Mill building ground. And he gets down with me. We're both on the ground. He says, bring your specimen. Oh. Take your bees. Bring them down. They're in a glass box. We both get on our stomachs. I'm looking across. I'm about <laughs> less than three feet from him. And I remember he was sweating. Both of us were sweating. It was a really hot day okay. in, in, the, in the, this Waterman mill building of sorts. And, and he says, put your bees, put your specimen here in between us. And we're both looking at that. Now, I can't separate the view of the bees from the view of his face, and he asks me, what do these bees have that your drawings don't? That your drawings don't? Oh, interesting. Yeah, he says, look at the bees. What are you missing, essentially? Okay. And I'm 
terrified. Yeah. Because uh, you don't know what he means. I don't know what he means, and I'm just terrified because I'm terrified. What are they missing? And I'm also and you're very first. self-conscious. My first critique. Gosh. Was the, and <laughs> oh, gosh. I'm searching for what might be the right answer. And then I start searching for what might be the wrong answer. And then I start searching for just, okay, what what could he possibly mean? Mm, yeah. And I I blurt out delicacy. Oh. And he, I'm not sure if he was being honest with me or not, but he says, exactly. Oh. But I remember those words. And I remember the scene, and I can still see his sweaty forehead wow. saying, that's it. Yeah. Um, and I looked at my drawings, and I realized that I had... I had done all sorts of things with the forms of this bee. Mm. I had drawn the lines. I had used composition. I had checked all these various boxes in art world talk. Mm. But I hadn't actually paid attention to the bee. Oh, yeah. I had missed one of the, the first thing I noticed about the bee when I saw it. When someone cleared my mind of all the art, Yeah. I saw the delicacy. Wow. And he, he brought me to that and yeah. said, that's what you're missing. Wow. That's awesome. So that lasted. That went into your. That stayed with you. I still remember that. That as being changed. A sort of defining. I mean, there are lots of defining moments. How that, you that, worked. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it, it, I, re I remember it when I think of those jolts that you have that sort of wake you up, mm. where you think, ah, right, that's important. Right. Uh, and I missed it somehow. I got yeah. so stuck in this other thing. And I think of it when I'm out on Shoal Marine Lab drawing yeah. uh, specimen just for the sake of, of capturing something honestly um, but that that was kind of my be my beginning as an artist that realized ah I might be thinking of myself as some bohemian as some artist but I totally missed the boat missed the delicacy awesome yeah that's good so after RISD what'd you do where well, were you I, headed when did you yeah. think you were headed well I actually I left RISD with with the purpose uh, to study at an atelier. I studied with Paul Ingbertson at mm -hmm. Ingbertson Studios, and at the time they were in Manchester. And that's what brought you to New Hampshire? That's what brought me to New Hampshire. And okay. so Rhode Island School of Design obviously is in Providence, mm -hmm. so I wasn't that far away. Yep. Uh, I just sort of moved on the other side of Boston. Yeah. Um, but I had left after my sophomore year, finished sophomore critiques. I remember being happy with, with, with how I did, mm -hmm. and the critique, and the grades, and all that. But I, I didn't I thought I felt like I was going to be about to be tossed in, into the abyss in terms of, okay, now go do your thing, go make art. And mm. I, for for what I felt I wanted to do, I didn't I didn't know enough yet, mm. and I I, I got, had the instinct that I needed more instruction, and I had a couple of instructors at Rhode Island School of Design at the illustration department who showed me, without even meaning to, they showed me what it was like to be able to look at something mm -hmm. and actually interpret it, paint it, not with photographic realism or mimicry of nature but perception hmm. and I remember just watching them put these brush strokes on my canvas and thinking I've been screwing around for the last hour and a half saying nothing on this canvas hmm. and they've just made a statement that's oh. meaningful okay. to me okay um, as, as someone who's not was viewing the same reality whether it was a model or a, a still life so that was hmm. actually my introduction to painting reality as you saw it or I should say realism, for lack of a better word, um, as an act of, of artistic interpretation. Mm. Um, I had often, in my earlier years, dismissed it as being a, a kind of mimicry, 
mimicry of nature, something mm -hmm. that was it did while we didn't have photographs. Hmm. Now we have photographs, we can do everything else. Um, I, I, I've since realized that art has never been about the mimicry of nature mm -hmm. um, or anything even approaching photographic realism. It's always been about something much more interesting, much more mm -hmm. interpretive, much more human. Mm -hmm. And so that realization led me to pursue an education in the atelier system, which was basically an atelier system is about treating your eye like a tool, treating mm -hmm. it like a, something that needs to be honed. Mm -hmm. um, and so you work at it, you shape it, you train it mm -hmm. um, so that you can perceive, so that you can unleash what you have as a creative being and, and unleash it through the skill. It's a very Greek idea. You gotta, you gotta, you've, gotta, you've got this intellectual, spiritual side that needs to get the physical side up the snuff to be <laughs> yeah. able to express it. Right. So right. Um, Train it. Yeah, master it. Yeah, so that that drew, that's what drew me to the Italian okay. uh, model, um, and also in art school, it's very confusing going from teacher to teacher. They all have their different ideas, absolutely, other yeah. things going on, and, and it's very easy to get. So you can set out to just get good grades, and you can do that, but you might yeah. end up just royally confused. Yeah, um, at the end of it. So, not to down. I'm not speaking down on art school. I think I, I think I learned a great deal from my time at RISD, but it, it's most one of its most valuable um, gifts to me was, a, a, was, a, was a realizing that art was serious and you could sink all kinds of time. I was recovering from my sleep deprivation for years afterwards because I had pulled so many uh, all-nighters. But um, it sort of set me up nicely to approach the atelier system, which was a very different sort of thing, focused on one artist as the, as the sort of maestro, as the master, as the right. guide. Yeah. And... And you, you, you approached uh, all concepts. You approached through uh, the eye of the needle, and the needle was the visual. Mm -hmm. it, it, you, you couldn't go off on conceptual tangents and figure out ways of ingratiating and um, ennobling something through the intellect. You, it was all about what's actually happening here visually, mm -hmm. uh, which may not be where you want to end up, but it's at least a good place to train your eye. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Does that answer the question? Absolutely. Okay. That was a nice nice yeah. answer. So, um, in New Hampshire, after Manchester? You sound doubtful. I don't know. I'm just asking. <laughs> I, I don't know. I do sound doubtful. <laughs> What's wrong with New Hampshire? Nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing um, at all. Well, um, so we're skipping all the way from... Yeah, we're jumping. That, Unless there, you've got to cover, you got to cover stuff. Do cover I have to it. Cover? If you do, you let me know. What happened in the? Well, I, so I went to I studied with Ingerson Studios. Oh wait, then you I, went to Europe. I went to Cecil Studio. Oh right. In, okay, so in, do cover in Italy. Um, that was important because I felt like I learned how to see. In a way, RISD got my mind going, in terms of how how to maybe think about art. Uh, but then the atelier system, and, and, and Paul in particular, my now father-in-law, by the way. Oh, yes. how about that? Yes, strange things happen. Yeah, well. <laughs> there is a precedence for um, artists wooing. Did you find him or her first? <laughs> oh, uh, him. Okay. <laughs> Just making sure. Okay. It took me a while, a long while to find her. But, oh, wow. Um, anyways. 
So how'd you find out about this Cecil in Europe? And I, I was looking for a way of trying to wrap up my education. Um, not wrap up, it's the wrong word. I was trying to, um, somewhere in my time at Ingbertson Studios, painting still lifes, drawing casts, portrait painting, figure painting, I, I realized I, I realized that time passed differently when I was painting a portrait. I, I had a limited amount of patience when it came to painting a vase or a flower. I, I wanted it to be done. I okay. wanted to do it yeah. and be done with it. Mm -hmm. um, that isn't to say that a subject matter is any less worthy. It's just personally, I had less, I just noticed the clock ticked okay. at a different pace. Okay. When I had a figure model in front of me, I would throw endless amounts of time at the canvas, it, it, mm. it wasn't keeping track. So I had that weird zone mm, yep. happen where suddenly you're not even keeping track and time is not an issue. And the models dying of thirst. And poor and models suffering. <laughs> waving white flags. Yeah. And uh, yeah. Okay. And, and so, so I, I realized that I, I might be, um, I might be a portrait painter. Okay. It was also a weak link in my in my training, and I don't say that to blame the school, I, I just noticed that I kept on hitting a wall when it came to portraiture. So I ah. I wanted to go somewhere that gave me a lot of time in front of a portrait and gave me a, a, a way of doing it um, that, that allowed me to, 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 to finish one and to execute detail and begin to piece this whole problem of painting together. Students, artists can often, teachers can often have their strong suits in terms of what part they focus on and what part they excel at best and teachers can often teach a certain part of the problem best and for some reason i was not getting the finish when it came to portraiture mm. i wanted to wanted to figure out how that worked because i had a strange i think pretty legitimate suspicion that how you finish your portraits might have something to do with how you start it mm. in other words the, the start is in the finish mm. and vice versa so You've got to see it through, know what you're missing, uh, so you can apply it to how you start. Um, but if you never get to the point where you actually see something through completely and thoroughly and yeah. make some horrible mistakes and mistakes you completely own. Yeah. So I went to Europe, I went to Italy. In so you went to Italy first and found him, or you knew of him before you went? Yeah, it's kind of tricky because I'm realizing now that in hindsight I've made a lot of sort of neat and tidy order out of it. But at the time I just had to get out of Dodge. Yeah. I had to get out of Manchester. And I just wanted to yeah. just be somewhere else. And so initially I went over thinking, I I'll just travel and drawing. Um, mm. Charles invited me to, to stay and fill an empty spot. Wow. So it turned into, um, it actually turned into a much more productive and focused time than I had thought. Mm. Nice. Yeah. So how long were you there? Mm, January or February to June or July or something. Mm. So just an intensive two semesters. Time. Is that two semesters? Mm -hmm. Roughly. Roughly. And then what brought you back? How did you uh, land in Portsmouth? Just lower money, the boom. Out of money. Um, <laughs> how would you land here? A glass of wine. Okay. No. <laughs> we'll let you. <laughs> Tell us how you got back here. <laughs> he can't remember. It was a blur. He landed uh, after the steps. tornado. Wow. I was literally squatting at a dear friend's 
farmhouse. <laughs> and he was trying to sell it, and I kept squatting, and I was making friends with very affable mice and, uh, and painting in his studio uh, in New Hampshire. And so Paul Ingbertson's studio is in Manchester, so there was a bit of the New Hampshire connection. My parents yeah. moved up to Vermont when I was 20 or so. Oh, okay. So there's that relocation okay. from Connecticut to, to Vermont. They're right on the, on the line mm -hmm. on the Connecticut River. So there was that connection. Mm. Um, so it's like a lot of what you do is who you know mm -hmm. and what connections you have, the galleries, the friends, the artists. And so I was squatting. When did uh, you get into your first gallery? When I was in school. Wow. Where? Where was it? And was what in, was it? It may have been up in Stowe, Vermont. Yeah. I think I was in two early on. I was in one in Manchester. Okay. It was sort of a frame shop slash gallery. Yeah. And then I was in one in Stowe, Vermont. Wow. And what were, what was the medium? Oil? It was all oil, yeah. It was, yeah. At that point, I had uh, matured to oil. Paint. Yes. On real Fully canvas. Fully matured. <laughs> um, and charcoal drawings. Oh, but okay. mostly oils at that okay. point. Awful oils. God, when I think of what I sold back then. Hey. I'll take them back. Anyone who has a painting. <laughs> I won't pay you for them, but I'll take them back. <laughs> oh, boy. But I think we all have that, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, boy. It's a good thing. It means you moved on. If you yes. make the paintings you did five years ago, and you're like, that's great. You're in <laughs> big trouble. Big trouble. That's, that's a good point. <laughs> that is a good point. But, but Portsmouth was, I was in Boston. I was at the Fenway Studios for a while. I was in Chelmsford. I was in Littleton, basically trying to figure out. Chelmsford this, and Littleton. I'm very yeah. familiar with those areas. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they have cheap. Uh, I grew up space. in Maynard. 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 Yeah, they have an art studio they space there. They do. It's, un it's incredible since I've grown up and left yeah. town. But anyway. <laughs> so I feel like leaving the studio at Ingerson Studios or any studio is, is to have this really rude awakening where you realize, what, the, the studio space doesn't come with the apartment? <laughs> you don't have a north light facing you know, 14 foot high ceiling space that comes with this apartment? How dare you? <laughs> so I spent a long time trying to figure out how to find a space to work because okay. as an artist, yeah. I've often wished I was a writer or a pianist. You know, yeah. I was a pianist as a kid. You were, yeah. You just, you just bring your piano. Not that that's easy, either, but <laughs> Throw it on your once back. you get it there, it's there. And uh, if the soundproof walls, you're okay. Um, but you can. You don't need all these specific things. An artist yeah. needs, at least the way I worked, was north light, uh, high enough ceilings so the light comes in at an angle. Mm. Uh, peace and quiet, for God's sake. <laughs> A little you know, bit. These things help. Give it to us. So I, I, I was in, basically in the mode of trying to find a space I could afford, I was familiar with, I could work, I could afford, and, and Portsmouth um, made a lot of sense, uh, partly because I knew of the button factory. Okay. And Todd Benita was unfortunate enough to take one of my classes, one of my early classes. Really? Uh, That's how you met him? It, How did you is, meet him? It's a horrible story. He met you. Met him. He took your class. Yeah, he came in. I love uh, it. I think he was lost. I think he was looking for a lawyer, <laughs> and he walked into the uh, <laughs> the art studio, and I was advertising for classes because I needed someone to pay my rent for the summer, <laughs> and uh, and he, uh, well, he said yes. Wow. And, and the rest is in the button factory. No, no, no. So no, this no. is in Manchester. Oh, in Manchester. This is before he okay. made the transition from illustration to. Oh, okay, to okay, okay. So. I take all the credit for anything I was just say, you'll ever have. So you, you had an influence. I love this. I was so I'm not sure go, if I did. You actually. guys go way Sadly, back. I don't think I did. What's that? You guys yeah. go way back. Oh, that's great. Great. So who made it to the button factory first? You or him? Uh, well, that's 
<laughs> That's a story I don't want to. Understand. Okay, all right, we'll skip that one. <laughs> that involves so eventually windows and beer and <laughs> one of us getting evicted. Okay, scratch it. So you you came to the button factory at some point. I did. Yes. Eventually. Okay. Under a fake name, and uh, <laughs> no, no, no. Okay. Um, I I was basically I, I, there's a bunker. A number of artists said this. But bunker, Dennis Miller Bunker said something along the lines of you, an artist has got to be able to make it in their own country, in their own town before mm. they go somewhere else. There's mm. this idea of Gosh. if you can't make it, if you can't sell to your fellow countrymen, then you can't just escape somewhere else. Who usually you hate you anyway, but go ahead. Right, there, there's that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I suppose we've always had that problem. But um, So I really wanted to have the kind of career that was had strong foundations and and, and and connectivity to where I was from and where I had trained and yeah. being trained in the Boston school tradition and then at Cecil's with a more Baroque twist, but still very much informed by Gamel okay. and the French academies and the whole atelier system. Um, I felt like I needed to stick around hmm. because of the connections I had forged. Um, so Portsmouth was basically taking a step a further step. I was in Boston, then I moved out to the 495 Loop, and then I moved out to Portsmouth um, in large part, if I remember correctly, because the space was available. And yeah. I could afford it. And okay. the quality of life and the, the nature. How many years ago was this? <laughs> you could years. afford Portsmouth. <laughs> seven, or, seven or eight years okay. ago. Okay, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, by afford, I mean I could uh, I know, I know. rent a room yeah. in, a, in, a, in a boarding house somewhere. Yeah. yeah. But you got your button factory, North Light. Button factory. Big space. May it last. Okay. The button factory. Who knows? <laughs> but so, great. So many artists. So you've have been here that that long. Yeah. Wow. That's, Seven that's great. Years. Yeah. But you're in you're in other galleries beside Todd. You're in Yeah, I was places. in a number of galleries until about a couple of years ago. Mm. And uh, I realized I needed to be in fewer galleries. I wasn't happy with the work okay. I was I was giving them, but um, I went through it. I went through a number of years of self-representing. Right. I, um, right. I, I was fortunate enough to, to have some some clients and connections, and um, I was able to do some uh, sort of private portrait commissions and mm -hmm. and sort of try and figure that out. You still uh, do for a couple of years. I still do that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm now I'm sort of tr trying to re-emerge um, okay. to the gallery scene. Um, I, I think I'm a late bloomer in the sense that I may have known how to paint in some mechanical way early on, but I didn't know what to do with it. Hmm. And I, I, I didn't, wasn't convinced that what I was doing was what I wanted to do with it. Mm -hmm. and, and so I, I've, I've spent a lot of time experimenting okay I got hundreds so of you retreated you came away yeah. from the galleries to kind of retreated kind of made things happen on my own um, yeah. through doing doing different kinds of events and, and, and um, connecting I mean you, if, if you're willing to do the legwork and mm -hmm. participate and meet people mm -hmm. um, and stay on top of that you can self represent to an extent mm -hmm. um, what I've realized now is that when you get to a certain point, you you actually can't spend the time doing that. You need to right. you need to have a gallery. So yeah, finding the right gallery is difficult, and that's what I'm. It's a hard balance to yeah. get to that point, right? 
You have to put in the time to self-represent, and then when you get into them, then you can balance that and come back and put more time into your your painting. I remember speaking in galleries, I I got to give a nod to Powers Gallery in Acton, who... Acton Mass? Acton Mass. Oh, my gosh. One of the galleries... Next to Maynard, where I grew up. I've been in (laughs) since I got back from Italy, and I remember distinctly, I dropped... I dropped off a portfolio and I was walking out the door because they had said, you know, you have to leave it and come back. And before I had left, the owner, Larry, yeah. sort of stopped me, yeah. called out and said, wait a minute, I'd like to, like to talk to you. So I didn't, I didn't get to drop it off and leave. He, he talked to me. I, ha- I happened to have some of the paintings in my car. Kudos, that's it. Yeah. And I think later <laughs> that evening or that afternoon, one of them sold. So, um, wow. Yeah. And then something for about eight months, but that first impression was amazing. Wow, that's pretty good. Yeah, and that that same client I, I still know, treasure. Yeah. Now as a friend and a client today. Isn't that isn't that exciting? Mm. Yeah. What is success for you as an artist, by the way? What what does success mean to you as an artist? Oh my gosh. Um, hmm. The closest I could come to that is. Uh, what I'm working on now is a series of, of recreations, reinventions, musings mm-hmm. on paintings by Walt Kuhn. And mm-hmm. they're, they totally take off, and I, I don't think they're derivative. They're taking a lot from him. They're, they're, he's the springboard. But I recreate the whole thing, and I, I, I respond and paint the people I have in my studio set up as these entertainers and clowns. And I, and I paint my own paintings, and not to say that I'll be doing that the rest of my life, mm-hmm. but that is that has been so rewarding. Yeah, and I think it's rewarding because it's an idea I have that has nothing to do with selling paintings, you know, gallery walls, mm. any conceptions of what I have with good art. You know, Kuhn is not a painter I hold up as a model, as a, an effective technician. Mm-hmm. paint he, he, he's he's not a great painter in the sense that I would normally say that but he accomplishes a lot with his paintings they're powerful mm-hmm. um, and so to be exploring new ground new territory using a skill set um, I think success uh, has to be some combination of of a technical prowess and ability where you can explore themes that 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 you found fascinating, that unencumbered by popular opinion or yeah, anything else. There's that, but also I guess I have to say that, that that maybe success as a painter is also that you can be confronted with a white canvas mm. and that palette strewn with colors, and you can effectively make sense and express something of what you're looking at. That's a combination of what you're looking at and feeling and you're interpreting and all that. Mm. But at the end of the day, you have the objectivity and, 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 the, and the perspective to be able to look at it and say about it. Right. Inspired me. I can't imagine. What, I mean, I know what it, it was. It was all the wild forms. Yeah. Um, and I never did a decent drawing of it because I didn't realize that shading exists. I, I, I was drawing yeah. lines around yeah. everything. But to be able to sit down in front of something that fascinates you, mm-hmm. whether it's a concept or whether it's the thing itself, 
and to be able to express it to the point where you look at your piece of paper, your canvas, and you're like, yeah, that reflects something of what I felt. I think that that needs to be the definition of success. Yeah, I like that. It's good. Okay, so let's talk about your show because I want to know how did you get into this whole thing? What you thing? spent about yeah. 18 months on this project, mm. which is culminating in this fantastic show. So tell us Fancy, everything. Fantastic show. Everything. Yes. We want to know it's everything. It's going to be huge. <laughs> uh, so, uh, yes, it's interesting because I've been trying to think about what what to say about it. What, what hatched? Uh, so, yeah. first of all, tell us the name of the show. I'll let you read it in a mess. Uh, I won't the, say the name of the show. Yeah. Well, I didn't come up with it. People at you didn't. Center. At the French Cultural Center in Boston name, came up with it. It's uh, Le Masque and Kunz's Metaphors. And it's Le Masque because it's at the French Cultural Center in Boston. Mm -hmm. And it's Kunz's Metaphors because that's what Kuhn called them. He called his paintings metaphors. Oh, so okay. Even though they're portraits. He, he thought of them as, as metaphors. So did they approach you? Did you start the series and approach them? What happened? I um, I came to the point where I realized that if I was going to, well, I realized that I, Kuhn had been this weird figure of in art for me. He had been in the, in the periphery of my vision for years. Hmm. Hadn't realized, hadn't figured out what to do with him. And um, that, that had to do with the fact that he, he was sort of, he was part of art, the art history narrative the one that you read in history books, the arbiters of art have, have nicely laid out for us. Um, and he's not part of that, except that he helped organize the Armory Show in 1913. Mm -hmm. So he's crucial in that regard. He sure. introduces America to all the isms and uh, of, of European art, okay. the avant-garde and European modernism. Mm -hmm. um, so he... He was instrumental in that that shock. I mean, it was a scandal, mm -hmm. and then it became a sensation. And some critics suggest that we haven't recovered yet from it. <laughs> okay. Um, so it was quite a moment, and he orchestrated it both from the from the curatorial perspective and the organizing perspective and the promotion perspective. But then a, years later, he he does an about face and starts painting the people he knows in a very particular way, paying attention to form. Um, there's a quote, I can't quote it exactly, but he tracks the, the treatment of form through time from Rubens to Van Dyck. He talks about having some artists having found the form and then other artists having lost it. And then he talks about Cezanne having taken the form apart, yeah. broken it into pieces, trying to figure out what it's made of. Hmm. And then his followers, he refers to them, they didn't even pieces. Right. So very telling about how, what he thought about them. And then now Q, now me, now I. Yeah. Uh, I put them all back together back for together. you again. Okay. So he uh, he's fascinating on a number of levels. Okay. Partly because of his organization of the Armory Show and his about face in terms of where he goes with his with his paintings, how it contrasts with paintings by Marcel Duchamp, for example, mm. *You Descending a Stair*, that fractured mathematical mechanical mm -hmm. vision of what a figure is mm -hmm. compared to to Kuhn's it's night and day. So he's weird, and he's out of step with his time, yeah, or ahead of his time, depending on how you look at it, or looking back, he could mm. be passe. I don't know, but so he'd always he's been hard to figure out because he's not easily pinned down. Mm -hmm. 
and I finally realized that there would be no moment, no confluence of circumstance that would shout out to me, now's the time to ask all your friends to dress up as clowns. Uh, <laughs> that time would not come. I had to just do it. You had to do it. It would never make and any financial did. sense. They acquiesced. They're all Most of them did. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I'm still trying to get Tommy posed. It's a busy fellow. <laughs> yeah, I want to see that one. Yeah. So well, I have I have the painting picked out. Oh. Yeah. He's in a plaid blazer and a, and a bowler. It's wonderful. <laughs> I, I started down the journey um, and then I was trying to figure out, okay, where am I going to show this stuff? Okay. Before I actually start throwing lots of time and money into okay. it. Okay, yeah. I should probably think about what Why? role they're going to be yeah, on. Yeah, okay. Um, and I didn't have too much concern about that because I, um, I just, it, didn't, it didn't bother me. I just remember talking to a friend and I knew about the French Cultural Center and I thought, you know, this would be a really interesting fit. So you, what you end up doing is when you're thinking about an idea like this that's a little bit off the beaten path, you begin to think about grants, you begin to think about venues and institutions that aren't galleries, mm -hmm. because galleries have a particular way of thinking about sure. venues. And so it came up quite naturally wow. uh, through personal connections and just nice. knowing them, uh, knowing of them, I should say. Okay. And my first meeting with the director um, he suggested that I um, exhibit paintings I had done in France when I was there. Uh, and then an hour later, we were shaking hands, having agreed that I would exhibit a bunch of uh, early 20th century clown paintings done by a, a, a fellow born in Brooklyn of German descent. Had okay. nothing to do with, with French culture at all, except everything. He was living in the, in the, uh, under the influence. Yeah. Of, of French art. He went to Paris to study. So there are all these really interesting connections and also what he painted, Gomière, Lautrec, going back to Watteau mm. and others, this whole idea of the mask and the clown as a character, as an archetype, mm. uh, as something that goes back in French art. Um, and just the, the color and festiveness of it is also yeah. prevalent. So yeah. it, wasn't, it wasn't hard to see eye to eye with, with the director, with and to, and to organize it. Uh, the hard part has been finishing them in time. I was going to say, do, how many did you have done when this all came uh, about? And did they give them. you a... <laughs> uh, don't tell them. <laughs> <laughs> did you have a... Did, did they say, okay, we're going to do the show here and you got to... The, the date moved around a bit. Um, did they even ask to see anything? Or did they just... They were remarkably trusting. <laughs> I don't know who they talked to, but they trusted me. Oh, so very, the date moved around foolish. a bit. And then finally they... So do you work well under pressure? I like to think so. I mean, do you have to get done by next I mean, Thursday? I think no. Duke Ellington said, uh, "Don't give me time; give me a deadline." <laughs> yeah, I think I'm I'm that way. Okay, give me a deadline. I so this is time. this is next Thursday, the twentieth. This is this coming Thursday, the twentieth of September. It's opening at the and, French Cultural Center in Boston, yep, and um, the opening is eight to ten or seven to ten. It's a good question. Something like that. Seven to nine. We'll it's have the website. There, we'll, yeah, there'll be a, a yeah. link on the to nine. You're right; it is to yeah. nine. Because I remember, um, and, I can't and, and it's so it, their mission is to is to have exhibitions in their gallery space that do sort of buttress and, and and feature French culture and, okay. the, and the effects of it, and Kuhn fits that perfectly. It's a treatment of form, his designs, because I know he took them from early Greek and Etruscan art and 
sort of the pared down sort of Spartan way he was doing it. And the fact that they were so bloody powerful hmm. without being well painted. I, I just, I'll say it like that. Yeah. And I, I might get some, uh, some backlash from that, but I, they're not beautifully painted and yet they're powerful. And that intrigues me. Usually I respond to paintings because they're very beautifully painted, because they express form in a, in a beautiful way involving value and color and chroma. But uh, his paintings don't do that, and yet they're powerful, and I had to figure out why. Mm. So for this series, it's a lot about that. It's a lot about why Why are these paintings so good? Mm. They're not checking all the boxes that good paintings and, and, you know, that, I, that I look at uh, so, check. So what were you trying to do? You, you weren't trying to reproduce exactly. You were trying to reverse engineer what he did? Well, that's a good question. So uh, I um, I can't spoil it because I've got a whole thing worked out for the opening. <laughs> oh, oh, shoot. Okay. Um, but Give us a nugget. And we'll all show uh, up for the opening. I, <laughs> and I, I went to the... I, I took the steps to recreate everything from the model to the outfit to the lighting as best I could. I did everything I could to create the reality that Q would have been looking at. Okay. I did that in the end. When I first started out, I thought I could wing it. I thought I could pick this or that, the outfit or the makeup, and sort of make up the rest. Mostly, and initially, I, I left out the mask part. I didn't want to ask, I didn't want to put my friend through the rigmarole of putting makeup on. Yeah. Um, most of them are pretty touchy. So yeah. I, I didn't want to. You I, said I in the beginning, but by the end. <laughs> but by the end, it was full on. You're putting the face, you're putting the face paint on. Just shut up, put it on. <laughs> Uh, have a whiskey. Stop complaining. Um, okay. And the sh the show, I mean, the marvelous thing about the show is that I didn't know what I would find. It's not as though I set out to paint, you know, seascapes, mm -hmm. and voila, you have seascapes. I was, I didn't know what would happen if I pursued the idea full tilt. What I found by the end of it was that everything mattered. The reality mattered. There's a great quote by Baudelaire that I'm going to use at the opening, which I can't remember right now. But it basically is about how uh, you, an artist needs to be seeing and vital and paying attention to their environment with their own eyes. You've got to be seeing a reality to create your own, mm -hmm. something along those lines. Mm -hmm. And so what I realized at the end of the project uh, was that I needed to go through the hard work of recreating everything about the paintings that I could so that I could then exercise my I hate this phrase but creative license uh, I, I could be creative once I had everything in front of me to then interpret okay. as opposed to saying oh, I'm gonna make up the face I'm gonna make up the, you had the pieces yeah I had to have all the pieces ranging them and but funny enough as opposed to thinking oh if I copy everything about it mm -hmm. I'll be I'll just be mimicking Kuhn mm -hmm. I realized that to have everything there meant I was free to interpret yeah. As me. Yeah. So that was the sort of gift of it. In the end, I realized, oh, well, paying attention to all these details, recreating the reality in front of so my eyes. So that's what you got out of it. I, I, yeah. well, well, that was one of the things I got out of it. One of them. Part of it was how, how masks relate to, okay. to people, Yeah. Um, relate to me. I, I perceived the models differently when they had a mask on. Uh -huh. They they naturally perceive oh. themselves differently. Put, put a funny hat on. Interesting. Put some eyeshadow on. I mean, I don't often do that, but when wow. I have, yeah. I've perceived myself differently. I feel, wow, it's different. You know, that form, yeah. that expression translates differently. So how masks, makeup, 
costumes change the way we perceive ourselves? And and the question of is is the mask in this case they're all, they're circus performers, so are they are they embodying, inhabiting the mask and changing the mask? Are they what we're seeing, or mm. is the mask what we're seeing? It's probably a combination of the both. It's a bit mm. of a tug of war. Mm. Um, ancient Greek. Uh, theater would employ masks because it easily enabled actors to change character, to gain right. character. Right. One of the things I hadn't realized about Kuhn was that uh, masks were also meant to be experienced from a distance. So hmm. you don't, you know, oftentimes in, in, in performances and circuses, you don't put a mask on expecting to be seen from three feet away. Mm -hmm. You expect to be seen from 12, 15, yeah. 25, 100 feet away. Sure. And so one of the things that I hadn't realized until after I put masks on all my poor, long-suffering friends was that uh, there's, an, there's an unease about his paintings because you're too close. Hmm. Because all these people are done they up. They are, yeah. Like they're supposed to be seen from across the circus tent. Gotcha. And yet you're you're there three and five and six feet away from them in a very intimate setting. Right. Capture between the wearer of the mask and the mask itself. Mm -hmm. And initially I thought that was oh, it must have been the way he painted the eyes, it must have been the composition and the expression. I realized it's actually not that. It's just a fact hmm. that they're in elaborately uh, they're elaborately clad in, in outfits that are theatrical that, that suggest I'm about to perform. Hmm. And yet all his paintings are set in very staid, uh, just the opposite of theatrical Right, and did he, get, did he get his, did they sit for him? Did he have people oh, yeah. sit? They yes, did. so he was, a, and he was involved in theater from a little kid. Okay. Yeah. yeah. He was, he owned a theater troupe, he wrote theater yeah. he, he, okay. um, he designed yeah. I mean there's some obsession there because he obviously had well, yeah. well it's not just obsession it's just it's the world he grew up in yeah. his mother introduced it to him I wow. think he was six or nine or something. oh wow okay so it was a, it okay. was a world he was deeply he, yeah. entrenched in and loved and was familiar with these people and counted them among his friends so mm. that, that gets back to the, the personal aspect of it. He start, right. starts painting people he knows, yeah. the world he already exists and in. And he sees them. He moves from, my, my personal thing is he moves from theory mm. and isms mm. to what am I made of? What is my world? Mm. Who, who makes up my world? And, and and let me paint them. And he makes the, the clever choice of painting them off duty, you know, off stage. Yeah. Um, and, but the uncomfortableness of them, that the, the vacant stares yeah. and, and expressions they're not performing. I guess that's the best way of putting it. They are not performing as people. Their eyes, their expressions, yeah. their gestures, but their outfits are. Huh. So that contrast of, of uh, is, is, is fascinating. Off-putting, too. Yes. So yeah. I would never would have figured that out if I hadn't insisted my models Done get in the face paint. Okay. Yeah. So here's a shout-out to face paint. Thanks to the models. Yeah. So what do you, what do you see for yourself in five years? What, what do you have plans for the future? What are you doing? Um, hmm. Well, I would have to consult my wife. <laughs> <laughs> Being newly married, I'm slowly becoming familiar with that idea. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's called the monthly meeting. <laughs> yeah, right. You have it monthly? Oh, yeah, we do. Monthly. But then we have the one-year plan, the five-year goal, oh, you right. know, the 10. 
I think I think for me the goal would be. Um, I devoted a number of years to just trying to paint portrait commissions mm. and a lot of interesting paintings. Also doing Dudley Dudley's portrait for the New Hampshire State House. Okay. So I've had a lot of really fantastic experiences painting portraiture on that level. Yeah. Um, and I've sold through galleries th throughout the whole time. And I suppose my, my five-year plan would be to begin to develop an angle, a take, uh, a body of work that is cohesive and actually gets somewhere, not just an obsession, but actually gets somewhere and progresses. Um, and I'm not sure what that will be. It could be Kuhn, it could be something else, but I, I would like to be more personally engaged and invested mm -hmm. in what I'm painting while also engaging the art form. I have a huge respect for portrait painters who do what the occasion requires, because mm -hmm. I admire it, and I think it's a big part of being a painter, is, yeah. is, is being adaptable enough to fulfill the need, yeah. the client and the occasion. But at the same time, I think it's really important to pursue your own personal goals and quirks and fascinations. Mm -hmm. yeah. So I suppose a goal would be to be able to balance both of those. Yeah. yeah. That's a good one. Yeah. Okay, so... People can find your works at the website, yes. daisystudios.com. Yeah, and that'll be changing soon. It'll soon be alistairdacy.com. Okay. I'm working on that literally All right. as we speak. Love it. You're on Instagram. Yeah. As? Uh, no idea. I think I think my name, Alistair Dacey. <laughs> okay, it'll, it'll come up. Just find me. I'm on Instagram. I'm on Facebook. Um, but an important thing would be to find me out. Uh, on the 20th of yes. September. Yes. So again, Come tell us again. Exhibit. Down at... Um, the French Cultural Center. In Boston. And... Um, what time is your speech? At 7, 8, or 9? Um, I haven't consulted my um, Probably the beginning. Yet, but yeah, I think it's the beginning. <laughs> Secretary. <laughs> I, um, there'll also be a workshop yes. oh, of right. some sort. Uh, it's more of a creative take off of, of, yeah. of the painting workshop. That's happening, I think, October 19th. Yep. And then I, I'm, there might be a closing. Stay tuned for that. But there okay. might be a closing party. And there might be an unveiling there. I might actually finish a painting that I'm not able to finish. Whoa. Yeah. Oh, that would be cool. That would be fun. So September 20th through November 10th mm -hmm. with the workshop on the 19th. Yep. Okay. Open to members and non-members yeah. of the Cultural Center. Wonderful. Excellent. Well, thank you. Well, thank you very much for being on. Do you have any other questions? I have tons, but we will come back another time. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, Alistair. Thank you. Bye. If you found inspiration from today's show, make sure you are subscribed to the podcast and share it with a friend or two on social media. Also, take a moment to write a quick review on iTunes or share your takeaways from today's show on artistsofnewengland.com under today's episode. And while you're there, you'll find links to the topics mentioned in today's show. And don't forget to peruse the growing library of podcasts and resources. Thanks for listening. You got beauty to share with the world that no other human has. So get in the ring and pick up that brush.